0: Hope is the belief in the probability of the possible rather than the necessity of the probable. That is one of my all-time favorite quotes. And I've been thinking about it quite a bit for a lot of reasons, but particularly because we find ourselves now in what seems to be like we're facing a new global challenge every day as an industry, but also even just as a human race, whether it's global warming, the global pandemic, conflict, poverty, injustice, and literally everything in between. And it feels like it's almost imperative to have some semblance of hope um, for a better future. So before we get started, I thought I'd share. take a minute to just share a little bit of what I've been thinking about hope. And part of the inspiration of this is a meeting that I attended last week with a group of folks that I have known for about 10 years now, and these are some folks that like we are the most diverse group across every dimension that you can possibly imagine. We've been getting together for um, every month um, for about 10 years now to discuss meaningful topics and sometimes really polarizing or, or difficult topics. And again, you know, like we we all have different backgrounds and different opinions. Um, and so we have these, these discussions and because we, uh, through these discussions we finally like, feel like we are always um, in this perpetual state of crisis, uh, we decided that we were going to talk about hope. And that's what we did um, at our meeting last uh, last week. Now, when you have a group as, as diverse, as I, as I mentioned, you know, in people in that room are going to come out with in different uh, uh, opinions. But as we sort of went around that group uh, and each of us shared the, the list of things that bring each of us hope, that's what we were talking about, what, what brings you hope. There was one thing, like that, literally everybody said. Like we all had a different different list of things, but there was one that was common across all of our, uh, all of us, and it was the goodness in people, um, and the goodness in their actions in the face of adversity. And so that is my single message that I want to leave today before we get started. Is just a little bit of encouragement to you and even to myself that we continue and remember to do and be the good that brings hope in difficult times.
1: We started in hard times to bring us all in.
0: All right, welcome to Public Power Underground, Public Power's premier infotainment program that covers public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. I'm Omaz Nigesh. I work as a Power Senior Power Analyst focused on integrated resource planning, and I'm the guest today. I'm going to kick it to you, Dan.
2: I'm uh, Thanks, Amaz. Good to be here. I'm Dan Catchpole, a contributing editor and reporter at NewsData's Clearing Up, and this week I'm the podcast ambassador from NewsData.
1: And this is Karen Heim, Office Administrator at the Public Power Council, editor at large for Public Power Underground, and honorary member of the and an honorary member of the Power Department.
3: And I'm the creative director of Public Power Underground, manager of Klatskin IPUD's Power Department and producer for today's episode, Paul Dockery. Welcome everybody.
1: Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Paul.
3: Thank yeah. you for the hopeful message, Amaz. That, that was a really wonderful great. way to start like, the episode.
1: That's what really I'm good. feeling today.
2: Feeling some hope. Believe.
0: Indeed. Hope.
2: I feel like that was much more substantive and, and deeper than anything I have to offer ever. I'm you know, usually like superficial and snarky.
3: Yeah, So maybe like you need that
2: to was fantastic. That. I yeah. think we could all draw a little inspiration from that, Amaz.
1: Yeah, well, I'm just I glad so. that uh, that was not asked of me when I hosted. So <laughs> I'm glad that was something that came after I hosted. <laughs> you set the bar very, very high.
3: I feel like it's been growing. We had Rebecca did a really nice cold open, and then we had Ross came on, also with that sincerity and hopeful message. And then Almaz you nailed it.
0: All right, sounds good. Well, this is season four, episode seven, I guess. On today's recording, we discuss all sorts of energy news, including energy ramifications of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Get this: dogs in the workplace, or if you're a cat lover, we're going to substitute dog for cat. Uh, Aaron reports with Karen reporting, and a bunch of witty banter in between.
3: I'm really excited about the dog segment. It does. It felt like we needed the hopeful part of it. We need happy stories too, you know.
0: Yeah, um, and I'm going to make sure that I inject as much. Cat love. <laughs> I, I know this is this is about dogs, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna represent
3: yeah. cats. It's a great question about whether any workplace allows cats in the workplace unless it's remote work. It's a really great question. It's oh, a well, I've got to idea. look into cats. Stay in tuned. The workplace.
0: I, I got some news for you, so you'll oh, have to love until it. We get cool. there. Yes indeed. Gonna be great. So before we get started, Dan's gonna read a quick word from our presenting sponsor.
2: I am. Thank you, Almaz. Uh, The presenting sponsor of Public Power Underground is the Energy Authority. The Energy Authority is a non-profit energy portfolio management company owned by public power entities like Klatskinei PUD. TEA's mission is to help clients maximize the value of their assets and meet their power supply goals. TEA does this by providing expertise in energy trading, advanced analytics, renewable solutions, and a whole lot more. Over 60 public power utilities have partnered with TEA to tackle their energy future. So if you're looking for an energy authority to partner with in navigating the uncertain future of our industry, visit teainc.org to learn more. (laughs) Sorry, That's teainc.org. The energy authority, there's underground as it gets.
0: All right, so I guess it's back to me then. So we're starting this week, like most weeks, checking in on power market indicators in the northwest with our first segment, first segment, Aaron Ports, which will have Karen reporting.
1: My thank you, Almaz. Uh, So this is Erin Reports with Karen Reporting, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest power market indicators for March 14th, 2022. I'm Karen Heim, and I've got your market update for the week. Uh, October through September flows of the Dow's for water year 2022 are currently forecasted to be 100% of normal, and April to September is at 97%. Outflow at the Dow's peaked over the last week at uh, 222.6 KCFS on March 9th. Day ending elevation at Grand Coulee yesterday was 1,253, and peak outflow over the past week was 1, 170.5 KCFS on March 11th. Spot market uh, power in the Northwest delivery today is at $34, with gas at $3.92 per MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of $6.55 and a heat rate of $8,700. In term markets, balance of the month for March, heavy load at mid sea, trading at per megawatt hour. Mid-sea heavy load for April is at $37.95. Gas at Sumis is trading at $4.11, translating to a heat rate of 9,200 BTU per kilowatt hour. August power at Mid-sea is trading at $147.60, with Sumis gas at $5.03, translating to a heat rate of over 20... 29,300 checking in on answer aggregated basin data uh, to check it on snow in the region. The snow water equivalent for BC hydro generation is at 114.82% of normal for mid C 86.26% and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia basin. That'll flow through Bonneville dam. They'll estimate that'll be at 91.42% of normal snow blanket spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority peak load for the past week was about 9,183 on March 10th at 7.15 a.m. During Lode's Peak, hydro generation was at 12,182. Wind gen was at uh, 595. Conventional units was 1,010. And nuclear was at 1,152. Now, those are all megawatts. And so for December through January, pardon me, just in December, January, February uh, period sits at 1.0 oceanic Nino index. The multivariate ENSO index for January, February is negative 0.97 and the SST consolidated Nino forecast indicates that Nina conditions are likely to continue through spring 2022. This week in NOAA climate forecast, the six to 10 day outlook has a temp of normal ranges in the region. Precipitation is expected to be above normal with the 30 to 90 day outlooks indicate temp- temperatures probably below normal and an average uh, above average participation for the region precipitation mm, pardon me special thanks to answer for letting us use their dashboard dashboard and thanks to luji uh, for compiling this week that's all we've got back to you
0: all right well thank you so much for that report karen yeah.
3: anything we wanted to talk about there you see anything noteworthy there almost
0: what i find noteworthy is the the speed at which Aaron and karen are able to speak
1: I've been trying to uh, emulate Aaron. I mean, our names are so close that I'm like, i gotta I gotta just make that swift just like just like Aaron. So I felt like that was one of my better ones.
3: you yeah, did really well.
1: If It doesn't <laughs> work out in the energy industry there we go for you reading the fine print the fine print. Sure. I will remember that <laughs> so that I could do that. Look one of the things is that- an option.
3: Continues to jump out at me is on the ga- the natural gas prices in New England. So we don't report it directly in the readout, but on EIA's website they report the uh, gas prices at, in different regions in the U.S. and natural gas prices in New England are at 750 a dollar per mBtu. Um, the Northwest is at 392. You, you do see the separation even between like New York City and New England, and I was. I was told and reported that it's because there are a lot of LNG terminals that connect to the LNG system, and there are pipeline constraints to that, uh, uh, that system that has export capabilities. So you get a lot of the European prices. Anybody else hear that theory and want to weigh in?
2: Nobody, no takers. <laughs> I, have not heard that I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I So the, the LNG pipelines are causing, or the LNG load is causing constraints to retail natural gas transmission. So
3: is it's that, it's there is there you? are there are gas transmission constraints into the region. Yeah. Right, and you have LNG terminals, export terminals within right. that region. Right, so you have their so constraints they're in retail and LNG. Out. Well, I think the key here—it jumped out the page of me—is there is a noticeable price separation between New England and the rest of natural gas prices in the U.S. <laughs> Did you have something there, Amaz? We, we.
0: The, I, I was, I was just wondering. So, um, is that separation growing over time, or um, we just have a snapshot here? Do you know?
3: So uh, we reported on this. I think two. Episodes ago, when it was twenty dollars in that spot part and market price, uh, which is the first time it really jumped off the page of me. New York was around fourteen then, uh, so that's when it was most noticeable. It does bounce around a little bit.
0: All right. So next up is our weekly walk through public power and public power adjacent news. And a second, we'd like to call public power desktop. Paul, give us the typewriter. It's coming. I like Luigi's typewriter better take it away Karen (laughs)
1: <laughs> that, was, that was a good transition. I like that one. I will try not to go as quickly through these stories. Uh, Reuters has been the go-to publication uh, to follow on uh, the energy angle of Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine. Our top story this week is the coverage of planned by Ukraine and the European Union to urgently link electric ge- grids. Since 2017, Ukraine has sought to decouple their electric si- system from Russia, Belarus, and other former Soviet states, and the plan to connect to the Euro- European Network of Transmission System Operator. For electric, electricity, aka. So, Paul, is it ENTSO dash E or NSO E?
3: Great question. All I right. would probably just go with ENSO-E.
1: ENSO-E. Okay, enso E. There we go. Uh NSOE was on track to be completed in 2023. Russia's invasion has accelerated the process. Ukraine disconnected their, from their inter- interconnection with Russia at the end of the, oh, at the start of the invasion uh, and has been on an electrical island since. The accelerated timeline may have them connected in a matter of weeks. Since the report came out on February 27th, let's hope uh, breaking news by the time this shows uh, up in your news feed. There are more energy angles to cover, and you can find great articles on how the war might accelerate transition to renewables in Europe and why it has Germany rethinking the shutdown of their nuclear fleet, also in Reuters. Also, if you want a podcast to summarize the macro impacts on energy markets, the carbon copy hosted some experts. Check it out. Paul will include it in the show notes.
3: Anybody else here listen to the carbon copy?
2: I haven't, but I, I'm going to go check it out now. It's great. I listen to all the podcasts. All the podcasts? No, I, I don't, mean, but I listen to a, a lot, lot podcasts. of the podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's I not breaking news about this, but they did say today that power was restored at uh, the nuclear plant in Chernobyl. So we don't have to worry, I suppose, about Chernobyl 2.0 meltdown. All of the nuclear geeks on energy Twitter
3: were comforting us that even if it doesn't have active power supply, it's decayed enough that it Uh, won't result uh, in a nuclear meltdown. That's what the uh, nuclear geeks on
2: energy Twitter were saying. So I have to say, I'm really glad to hear Germany rethinking shutting down its nuclear fleet. I never understood why Germany was going ahead with Nord Stream 2 and so quick caveat to so my background just bachelor's degree so this is not like i i don't want to overrepresent myself here um, so i studied the former soviet states international studies with a focus on former soviet states and uh security issues there which you can't talk about security without talking about energy in that region and uh after i went and covered the russian-georgian conflict in 2008 for a few months from tbilisi for a few american newspapers uh so this is an area that i've follow closely care about deeply um and i never understood why germany was going ahead with Nord Stream 2 where they're one you know, investing billions of dollars in infrastructure that lasts for decades to essentially bake in energy dependence on Russia, which we'd already seen time and again in, you know, 06, 09, cutting energy uh, or natural gas transmissions to Ukraine to use this leverage to influence uh, in domestic affairs in Ukraine. Uh, and Europe has finally had its eyes opened to the reality of what it means to be dependent on Russian energy. It's...
0: I, I, I'm just curious. <clears throat> How what's a realistic timeline for Europe, for Europe, particularly Germany, for, I mean, it's one thing to have your eyes open to your dependency, but how, how realistic or how quickly could they actually do something meaningfully?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not like you can just unplug overnight. Uh, that said, although I think the uh, transition in the West is showing that these things can happen faster than we, I think, previously thought. And they're much further along in terms of like offshore wind and some other generation uh, technology than we are. Even, and, hmm? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's oh, sorry. I was going to say this. Uh, it sounds like from what I've been seeing that there is a new focus on energy efficiency.
0: So in, in addition to energy efficiency, that sounds like also a lot of renewables, um, it, you, you know, there there are definitely two. Maybe conflicting, maybe they don't need to be conflicting opinion, how to proceed at this point, um, becoming more independent by drilling your own fossil fuels um, and becoming independent that way or uh, accelerating your renewables, uh, uh, your adoption of renewables and increase the energy efficiency. And I'm I'm curious, um I'm curious which which of those it, 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 are we going to, if we're going to proceed down a path where those are uh no polar opposites and, and, and it's either one or the other, or if some, some middle ground between those two opinions is going to, um, prevail. Um, curious what thoughts are. Like I've, I've just been listening to the the two ends of the pers of the spectrum. I haven't, I haven't heard any, um, middle ground in there. I'm just curious what you all think. Uh,
3: the carbon copy actually did a really good job of tackling that question of like the energy transition and how, um, you know, the, the, The opportunity to electrify things may be an opportunity. Like heat pumps could be a mitigant to a lot of the load, right? So can you expand the production of heat pumps and install in a near term a lot of uh, electrical heating within the European Union and Germany to reduce the dependency of those fuels? It's an efficiency play. But that's something that that transition can happen on an accelerated basis because it's a known technology and its efficiency um, and uh, yeah that they, they did a really good job of like that framing that conversation and also around renewables and solar like solar and wind as uh, energy security like uh, you know energy independence and, and energy security uh, kind of to your point Dan this uh, it's a big national security concern for European unions that you're dependent on Russian gas and if you have renewables like solar and wind, um, that is a it's an energy security play. So,
0: well, <clears throat> in that case, Paul, we're ready for the typewriter, and I'll have the next story. All right, that one that that one's like luji Good. We'll go. We'll, we'll, I like that one. Okay. So, REA has joined the ranks of innovative utilities like Emerald PUD in adopting the best possible employee morale. Employee retention, millennial and Zoomer recruiting and job satisfaction policy known to exist. Bring your dog to work. Um, Now of course, actually Columbia REA may have been the quiet innovators in this space while Scott Coe was the bombastic braggart taking all the credit as being innovative because Columbia REA actually started the program in 2019. The Union Bulletin's Jeremy Burnham did a feature article on the Walla Walla, Washington based Cooperatives Bring Your Own Dog to Work policy that got picked up in the Energy News Digest. According to the article, the CEO of Columbia REA, Scott Peters, championed the program upon his arrival at the cooperative in 2018. Employee morale, Peters says, is the whole point. Also, Scott has a dog named Pippin.
1: I got to say, like, Scott Peters, I mean, hats off to you. I'm not wearing a hat, but hats off to you. It's like, are you trying to get me to come to Walla Walla to work for you? Because I could bring my pet because we're expanding this to cats and dogs. I could bring my pet and you have, uh, like, very world-renowned wineries. So, like, uh, just to lighten it up a little bit, that's... uh... (laughs)
0: So when I started at Carmel Power in 2016, uh, maybe like two weeks in, there was uh, uh, like an all uh, uh, employee meeting, all power management meeting. Uh, and part of it was uh, voting on different like employee morale activities. And somebody had suggested bringing your pets. And we all had these dots, You know, that's the way the voting vote was, like all of these suggestions on the wall, and you go and you put dots on on what what you wanted to have implemented, and the one for bringing pets was like by far had <laughs> dots and was like the most popular, but nobody would do it. So like you know, I hope Clay Norris sees this and and, and might be tempted to follow uh, this, but but not dogs only. Like we need cats too in there.
1: I feel like cats would just be like the most docile. They would just lay next to you. They like a dog is going to get up and say hi to you. And the cat could just be like, I'm just going to lay by your computer or on your computer and take the heat from it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and I, to be honest, I don't, I don't believe this was the first place to do that. So I remember reading an article about a company in Japan that's been allowing people to bring their cats
1: into work since like 2000. Talk about a trendsetter. Yeah, Yeah. way ahead of the (laughs) term. Way ahead. I thought you'd be like, since 2015. Oh, no, since 2000. (laughs) Typewriter again.
0: That was a little excessive. Okay, Dan, you're up next.
2: Uh, So. Yale Center for Business and Environment and the Yale Center for Environmental Justice are working together on a spring 2022 Energy Justice Speaker Series. Uh, Next week's session is on March 28th, and it covers housing and energy justice with Donnell Baird, who's CEO of Block Power. His company is helping Ithaca, New York, electrify its buildings. The city of Cornell by the way uh I don't know why that matters but they uh, have a plan to electrify all their 6 thousand buildings in the city and they're partnering with private investment to help fund this at a one to 20 ratio I think I read uh one percent or sorry one percent Part public funding to 20 parts private uh, funding, which certainly will move it along. As one of their managers told, I think the USA Today, uh, yeah, there's no way we could fund this out of uh, public coffers. But there, so uh, Baird's company is helping them in the first tranche of electrification: a thousand residential buildings and 600 commercial buildings. So. Uh, you know, definitely check this out. Yale Center for Business and, Enviro- and the Environment and Yale Center for Environmental Justice. Uh, they're covering some really meaty, very relevant topics right now. And I'm glad that this came up on our story list today because I'm definitely going to put it on my calendar. So it's uh, Mondays, 1130 Pacific time, and it's free. Uh, it's an hour long webinar each week with some pretty amazing industry leaders and experts. So Definitely check it out.
0: Yeah, um, I couldn't attend, I, I haven't been able to attend all of them. I did attend the one today, um uh partial, some of it, I was late from another meeting. Uh, but the one I'm really so yeah, I guess the one today was on um, energy insecurity. And, and it was, it was actually a really, um, a really good presentation, um, some really good research that um uh, dr hernandez was doing but the one i'm really look, interested in is the topic on um, energy justice and housing i'm always curious about how we can um we can address more than just energy issues um through our energy solutions and building mm-hmm. is just as important as um as electricity it's more important uh, than electricity and i'm curious to see what that one is the you know the yeah, really looking forward to uh, attending that one. I believe that one is in April. Um, I think the first one in April.
3: I will put a link to the series in the show notes uh, so that people can go find it. Uh, um, as Dan said, a great summary, Dan. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of great topics here by industry leaders. Great stuff.
1: Yeah, they didn't get, they got the, I mean, it's Yale, so you'd expect it, but they, the people they got are quite impressive. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, top shelf. Yes. They did not ask people like me to be on.
1: I don't think they asked any of us. to. <laughs> so no. I'm sorry. I can't make my 11 o'clock meet your 1130 meeting. Cause you know, I'm already busy. So
3: <laughs> I don't think it was an accident that this uh, person was serving the town of Cornell. I'm pretty sure it's like all Ivy leagues. <laughs>
2: Yeah, because uh, uh, Doctor Hernandez today is from Colombia. Colombia. Oh That's a, yeah. yeah, there it is. I think the, it's re- redol- the revolving. Yeah, but they, I saw they're yeah, having Columbia someone
1: what, from like the the Bezos Earth Fund or whatever. I didn't. I didn't want to get into that too much. I was like, you're gonna. You have a. I mean, I am all about uh, climate researching climate change and, and improving our odds against climate change. Uh, but I didn't know if two day delivery on all of your products was exactly the way to combat <laughs> it. So. <laughs> Good
0: stuff. Um, so I guess, Paul, we're ready for that typewriter again. Karen's got the...
1: All right. Uh, Jason Fordney uh, penned an, uh, <clears throat> this week's op-ed in, cl- in clearing up. The editor of California Energy Markets used the opportunity to dig into Arnie Olson's presentation at the February 25th News Data and CJB Energy Economics Video Conference on Western Electric System uh, Transformation. Arnie Olson is a senior partner at E3 and noted in his presentation that the West is moving from a system with a lot of fuel costs that are the main driver of operations and economic dispatch to one with more fixed operations costs, i.e. renewables uh, with upfront capital costs and no fuel costs. The region is also moving from a system with firm dispatchable resources to one with more variable and dispatch limited resources. Another shift (laughs) uh, is the grid scale resource to a mix with more uh, customer cited generation, but there is a missing money problem problem, uh, For clean energy resources, Olson said. Traditionally, the energy markets have not been lucrative enough to pay for all the capitals that's needed for the resources to ensure that we can meet our load reliability, he said. The problem of this missing money uh, needs to be resolved through some type of incentive for resources to remain available, which is solved in uh, eastern wholesale markets with a capacity market. But in the West, there's not enough existing revenue in energy capacity and ancillary service markets to pay for all the renewable sources that are needed. Andy, do you have thoughts on this? Yeah,
2: this was, uh, I, mean, I always appreciate listening to Arnie. Uh, super smart guy, super well-informed. I mean, certainly has his angle that he's coming at stuff from, but that said, regardless, he's uh, one of the really enlightening, I think most enlightening, most interesting folks to listen to in, in terms of the West. Uh, also, can I just say, I have? I feel like I have a missing money problem, but that's a different one. <laughs> Uh, Paul, this public power underground is not paying enough, which is to say <laughs> <you> know, um,
1: <laughs> I was like
2: <laughs> but, uh, this just is wait till we get our merch sales up, folks. Then uh, we'll get to, it's yeah. really it's coming stores.
1: back in spades. It'll come yeah, back.
2: Sure. Uh, so the uh, this the I've not heard much about the conversation and I, I'm uh, and I'm curious to hear what everybody here thinks uh about how this transition is going to affect rate structure. Right now, there's increasingly conversation about moving away from fixed costs to, or I'm sorry, volumetric. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And this, to his point, it just seems like this is like volumetric is increasingly making less sense, uh, but that all the conversations are more rooted in the current paradigm versus... Uh, future paradigms. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, you know, rates will catch up with the oh, it new all matters. reality. It all matters. Yeah. Uh, when it needs to, but very interesting. So Almaz,
3: you are notoriously uh, a the doctorate in topics related to this. Uh, do you have thoughts on the missing money problem or just pricing of of things like demand response?
2: I believe that's the no- she's the notorious BH Ph.D. <laughs> Victorious Ph.D. So okay. I had to get that in there. Sorry. Okay. You got to
0: do that. Like little thing. You know. Oh, I got
2: one. I got one. I was like, I My mouse
3: died it. on me. The Where's catch?
0: the. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny, though, when you, uh, when you say that, because. I, I sometimes think about it. I remember when um, you paid by the minute for a telephone call. Like I really do remember those times. And I remember my best friend living all the way across on the East Coast, be like, gotta call her at after nine o'clock when the rates were cheaper, just because like there was a time when, when the way we paid for telephone calls was so much more different than it is today. Um and even the way we paid for electricity um, is 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 different from the way the you know the very first people paid for electricity when all they had was light bulbs, really. Um, I do believe that we're going to evolve away from volumetric rates, and I, I, it like it, it feels as natural to me as the fact that so many other things have moved away from volumetric, uh, from volumetric rates, especially something that's that's so critical to um, modern society. I, I think it's only a matter of time. I've also, I, I've, I've, I've thought a little bit about, um, you know, what the unit would be. Like if it's yes. what hour.
3: Tell me more.
0: What is the unit going to be? It, so that yeah, I don't have an answer for you, Paul. Uh, so right right now, and you know, if it's just a, a it's a per month bill, if it's a if it's a fixed cost, sort of like the way you pay, it's a dollars per month. Uh, but I'm 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 not unconvinced that there might be a different unit um, that people pay for. The average person doesn't know what a a, a kilowatt hour is believe me i' have actually gone around and done the research <laughs> nobody knows what a kilowatt hour is it means we can we could charge for electricity in a in a in a unit that's value uh, that's meaningful to people well, more so than than a, than a kilowatt hour
3: so are you more on the on the side of like make it more meaningful to people or make it easy? Like there's a machine learning, like there's a movement to make rates machine learnable so that you can have more automation around control systems for these home devices. So you can do demand response better because your device can read your rate schedule and then translate it to actual act. Are you on which side? I mean, not that they are all sides, not that everything's about sides, but like, can you evolve a little bit more about what your thoughts are on price my, signals versus uh machine learnable languages?
0: So I, I guess I could say my, my thoughts are evolving. When I was in grad school, prices to devices was my thing. Like that I it? It was the future. Um, now, not so much. Uh, like, I, 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 it could be potentially something more meaningful or and understandable to to people to, to people who pay for electricity. It Doesn't necessarily need to be that complex.
3: Interesting. Okay, so as because we are talking in the region about uh, moving more price uh, price formation within markets, do you have any theses around how to structure pricing? Or things like demand response or distributed resources and like, cause ultimately how the market starts pricing these things provides the opportunity for those types of resources to, to get com- commercialized for lack of a better framing.
0: So I've, I've always been of the opinion that they're priced according to the value that they provide. Okay. Um, so, and, and, you know, a, a price signal at the retail level is different than the wholesale level Absolutely. Um, where, where, where I've been most interested in is the, uh, for demand response anyway, is the pricing signal at the wholesale level. Uh, and that, that was actually one of like the, the driving force in my, my PhD. So I started like in 2010 and finished in 2015 and for quarter seven, four, five, which deals with compensation of demand response and wholesale markets. Um, uh, started and was passed in 2011 and it went, went through the courts until the Supreme Court settled it in 2015, like just, just months after I had graduated. So like, it was, it was something that I, that I, that I um, did a lot of research on. Uh, and I truly do believe that, 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 like, I actually did not agree with the Supreme Court ruling that demand response gets the, um, the LNP, like the same price as a, a, a generator, because I, there, it doesn't, um, it didn't consider the value that demand response uh, provides. And so I, I actually did propose an alternative to DR pricing that is not the LMP. Um, you'd have to read my dissertation to find it out. Though.
3: Okay. So you're going to so send me talks. a link. Is your, is your dissertation online?
0: It is. I'll probably okay. just send you the paper that does that talks just about that. Um, uh, okay,
3: So you're going to send me a link to your paper and it's going to go into the show notes.
0: Exactly. Sounds okay. Good.
3: okay. And if you have a soundbite you want to tell us, we could do it right. You got, you got just the three words on what your pricing scheme for DR is instead of this Supreme Court's decision on it. Your dissertation in three words is that- Yes, I want your dissertation in three words, Thomas.
0: Valuing distributed energy resources—that was literally the title of my dissertation. Okay. Three okay. words. Yeah.
3: <laughs> three words. We're gonna, we're gonna put a link in the show notes. Wait, Amaz's that's four.
0: Sorry,
1: that's fine. four words. We'll call
2: it's it four. Yeah, we'll call it four.
1: <laughs> we'll let you have a pass.
2: <laughs> oh, and by the way, Arnie Olson's comments were at Newsdata's annual webinar conference on wholesale uh, markets. Dear listeners, just, yes, dear listeners, we should put that plug in there. Yes, yes, that was uh, it was,
3: and I missed I, it too. I
0: love it. Like, I guess that's it. So we can you want to hit the typewriter and move on. All right. So we are going to take a quick break. Uh, And when we come back, we'll have a preview of Matt and Paul's interview with the Northwest Naturals, Chris Craker. Um, Yeah, so we'll go ahead and take a break.
3: Okay. At Northwest Public Power Association, public power is life. For 82 years, Northwest Public Power Association has supported public power utilities and other associates in the greater Pacific Northwest by offering education, training, communications, government relations and services like RFP and job postings. In addition to public power, what else is important to NWPPA? Local control, member needs, integrity and quality products and services. Today, NWPPA proudly serves 155 member utilities and more than 325 utility industry associate members. Learn more or register for a class at nwppa.org. That's nwppa.org, where public power is life.
4: Paul and I focus on the things that confuse us and and interest us here. And so thanks for, again, thanks for taking the journey. Um, But uh, the most important question remains, which is, is there anything super cool and exciting that we haven't touched on yet that uh that you want to bring up and, and chat through.
5: Well the eweb project we're we're both working on together. I mean that's the coolest
4: thing since sliced bread. Couldn't agree uh, more.
5: Right. So for those of you that, that don't know about our project <laughs> yeah,
4: that don't work at eweb <laughs> or northwest natural.
5: I want to hear more. Paul, uh, uh yeah. you got, you I'm got here for thing? it. So we've got this electrolyzer project we're working on at eWeb. So uh, EWEB has this chunk of land that's perfectly situated at their Roosevelt Operations Center or ROC, okay. yep. uh, as, as you guys referred to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea is that, is that uh, we- Where they give that- away
3: free electricity, I heard there. Actually, I actually did hear you give away free electricity at the Rock. Pretty sure. So you <laughs> should get that deal. Just you know what you do, Chris? You go out front, <laughs> and you plug into the level two heat charger, and then the electrolyzer will have free electricity. <laughs>
4: You poked a bear on here. this when you inadvertently poked a bear, Chris. I apologize. I should have warned you beforehand.
3: I'm so sorry. So uh, sorry. It just couldn't let it go. Anyway, you got an electrolyzer at the rock. That's super cool. See,
4: using this Her free
3: procedure.
4: power, <coughs> free <Yes>.
5: web power <laughs> to make <laughs> to make hydrogen uh and to blend it into the natural gas system that we have there. So uh cool. Yeah. So we're gonna be Hopefully, blending uh, about up a 5% blend into an area of our of the Eugene system there, um, probably maximum of 10%. And uh, we're going to use those learnings to transfer to basically our entire system um, so we can start bringing on hydrogen throughout all of our system. So um, right now, that project is in the uh, approval stage. We're kind of getting it ready for our regulators to to approve, and hopefully... Uh, you know, eighteen to twenty-four months, we'll be on this program talking about the
4: hydrogen that's flowing into the the natural gas system in Eugene. Mm-hmm. And so, I had those numbers, the the five to ten percent, in my head when we were going into this conversation. And so, when you said, you know, ten to 20, 20 to thirty, um, I was I was super surprised.
3: Um, yeah, I'd say UEB does not sound very progressive on their uh, hydrogen utilization rates in their pipelines.
4: Well, first of all, they're <laughs> not our pipelines. <laughs> Uh, Painting me in a corner here, man. I know. I'm good at <laughs> we'll, st-
5: we'll start off, you know, conservatively, five to ten percent. But you know, they we can definitely look at going higher, you know, 20% sometime in the future. And we actually have some other gas companies that are looking at 40% blends on their system. So oh, wow. Um, yeah.
4: I, yeah. Now that would be a that would be another rabbit hole, but I'd be super interested to hear the differences between the distribution system here and the distribution system that they would be using there. Uh, yeah. or or relying on um but yeah super excited about the project um and uh kind of the the use case right um you know and does this work great um you know what can we learn from it um obviously improving things simply by by giving it a shot in the first place so um yeah and you know candidly it's uh, been pretty great to work with so uh Good. no complaints on our end um yep. but yeah agreed chris thanks for bringing it up uh, I didn't want to be the one to do so. <laughs> it. So,
5: and kind of a kind of each side for that project, we are putting in provisions to to expand it. So I think EWEB, you've been talking about not maybe not specifically Matt, but I know the conversation has been around. Hey, is there other uses that you know for for hydrogen at EWEB? Maybe backup power or vehicle fueling or you know something like that. So mm-hmm. um, we're definitely putting in provisions to expand it. And if so, if you know if if there's other opportunities down the road, I mean it could could become even more and what we're planning on just for blending.
0: All right, here we go. So thanks to Chris for coming on to talk about the colors of hydrogen. Uh, so subscribe to Public Power Underground and make sure you don't miss the bonus episode next week, which includes a lot of talk about markets, book clubs and another trend and another intermission game. Next up, we are TLDR on our way through the news in a segment we're calling Short to Ground.
3: This is Short to Ground, a segment where we TLDR our way through the news and carry as much current as possible. I'm Paul Dockery.
0: And I'm Alma Niesh.
3: And we're,
0: we're shorting, shorting to
3: Ground.
0: <laughs> All right. Northwest Utilities, <clears throat> Tacoma Power, and Avista Utilities on March 2nd began participating in the Western EIM Market. Administrator California ISO said in a news release, Publicly-owned Tacoma Power serves about 200,000 customers, and investor-owned Vista serves about 600,000 customers.
3: Once BPA and Tucson Electric Power join the EIM later this year, the market will have 19 members serving nearly 77% of electricity demand in the West. Kaiso said, cumulative benefits since the EIM was launched in 2014 are approaching $2 billion.
0: Pacific Northwest National Labs is looking for partners on a vanadium redox flow battery project. PNNL has already partnered with two companies that are bringing this technology to market. Now a third and final semi-exclusive battery technology license is available.
3: Article by Dan Ketchpulse and right there. Good job, Dan. Nicely covered. In fish news, the Public Power Council says eight new studies costing between $1.77 million and $3.47 million are necessary if the region wants to understand environmental impacts of the largest ever spill program set to begin in April at eight Snake and Columbia River Dams.
0: All right. And then on March 7th, PPC sent a letter to BPA, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Bureau of Reclamation and NOAA Fisheries requesting specific studies to help determine whether the 2022 spill regime results in higher survival of threatened and endangered salmon and still, help, still hit
3: Coverage by K.C. Mahaffey on that one. Good job, K.C. The Washington legislature ended its short 60-day session late March 10th, having passed a score of energy and climate bills, most notably the move-ahead Washington transportation revenue package Governor Jay Inslee characterized as a transformational once-in-a-generation feat.
0: Yeah, lots of folks out here excited about that. Uh, notable investments in the package include $5.4 billion towards carbon reduction and multimodal expansion, $3 billion for public transportation, $2.4 billion to fund fish passage barrier removals, a $1 billion to fund Washington's portion of an Interstate 5 bridge replacement across the Columbia River, $836 million to build four new hybrid electric ferries, and $150 million towards ultra high-speed
3: rail. Next up, with successful results from one new turbine installed at Ice Harbor Dam in 2018, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers began replacing a second turbine with a new design that reduces juvenile salmon mortality and increases power generation efficiency. These turbines will be safer for fish, reduce maintenance costs, and increase power generation efficiency by 3 to 4%, a Corps News release states. Installation will take about five months, and commissioning is scheduled for this summer.
0: All right, next, news from the Potomac. Security has risen to the top of the federal energy debate following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm this week said, the U.S. is on a war footing, while lawmakers and the Biden administration sparred over increasing domestic oil and natural gas production and stepping up electrification and renewables.
3: Secretary Granholm cautioned against a shift in focus away from developing technologies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the, quoting, the war in Ukraine isn't the only thing sending shockwaves through the energy sector, she said. We've also got to reckon with the impact of climate change and the clean energy transition that isn't just coming, it's here. Unquote. You you know, oh, I, I did two. I did two for myself right in a row. i, I that. was an editing problem by me. Finally, a <laughs> California company with a stated mission to decarbonize aviation expects to invest more than two hundred and fifty-four million to build a hydrogen manufacturing and distribution center in Albuquerque.
0: And Hawthorne, California-based Universal Hydrogen has chosen a fifty-acre acre. Parcel Northeast of Albuquerque's International Airport to manufacture and distribute hydrogen storage modules, assemble airplane retrofit kits, perform aftermarket maintenance services, and manage administrative activities. New York, Mexico, uh, I'm sorry, New Mexico Governor, Michelle Grisham's office said in a March 10 news release. The location includes access to a runway and the potential to reclaim a rail spur south of the airport.
3: Uh, article by Abigail Sawyer in this week's California Energy Markets. Thanks to Public Power Underground's uh, uh, production partners at News Data for letting us use their leads, and thanks to Ian for compiling them. Now back to the crew to close out the episode because that's yeah. short to ground. Any notes there, Dan? Any notes on our
2: on our reads? Uh, no. It, well, it was no notes. Uh, that was great. I'm always impressed by how quickly you guys are able to do that. One thing I didn't put in my story about the vanadium redox flow batteries that I came across and doing research for it was uh, researchers at the University of Warwick and another institution in London that its name is escaping me. uh, I think they've found a way to cut the cost of hybrid vanadium uh, redox flow cells by, I think it was like, to one-tenth, less than one-tenth of what they are now. And they're not that far off from being uh, competitive with lithium ion. And they have the uh, added bonus of not catching on fire, so. That is an added
3: bonus. They also are longer duration. Yes, uh, that too. More, uh, more, go ahead, almost.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I'm looking forward to um, thermal storage. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of liquid air energy storage. Uh, and the potential really? of it, um, it's, it's, it's just coming up, but I'm i am hoping it it's like air is everywhere. Uh, if that, if that can be done cost-effectively, I, I think it's a game changer.
3: Yeah. I thought you were going to go in the direction of thermal storage, which is just increased, uh, home insulation, which is another great form of thermal storage.
0: Every type of thermal storage tends to be more cost-effective than area. It's cheap. Well, I'll say it's cheap doesn't it's not very complicated
3: so dan i am curious uh we just ran through all of the uh, some of the news uh has energy energy west covered any of this in this week's pod
2: you know so our new podcast energy west uh news is energy west with me and jason Fordney.
3: podcast uh, ambassadors recorded, from public yes. power underground have yeah, joined
2: forces we every at the beginning of every week we run through the latest episode or episode issue uh highlighting you know just giving a little tidbit uh our goal is to make listeners a little faster a little quicker about what's going on in the northwest california and uh beyond in the energy industry so yeah we touched on a lot of these but you know we're trying to keep it really concise so people don't have to spend as much time you know a lot of time listening to it say like how they do for public power underground that's a dig right there that's a dig (laughs) also it's very true it's very true so i love the i I love the mix you know yes uh, i get my tidbits and my deep dives uh and so we're the tid
3: the tidbit Uh, i am a subscriber uh i'm gonna go after this and give you a nice i may have already given you a five-star review and a comment but i will uh rate and review
2: everybody and do that for public power underground. If you haven't. Yep.
0: Okay. That's all the news we're covering this week. The bonus episode will be uh, the full interview with Chris Kraker, And uh, it's going to be published on March 24th. The next regularly scheduled episode will be recorded March 28th and published March 31st. The episode will feature celebrity guests hosts and Northwest public power icon, My favorite and yours, Terese Hampton. To make sure you don't miss it, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe to on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app.
3: Amaz, thank you so much for being the celebrity guest host. Well done. Do you feel valued and appreciated?
0: I always do, Paul. You're always like pulling me out of my comfort zone. I I would never do this, but for you, I will fall.
3: We are glad you did it. Um, I promised placards at one point that I, I have learned I do not have as much control over the placard device as I had hoped, but someday you may all get placards, maybe. (laughs)
1: Maybe. <laughs> I may have overestimated the control that I have over the yes. placard machine. Yes, I,
3: I do not. Are those I words you, all, you ever
1: thought you would say, Paul?
3: <laughs> I want you all doing. I like to realize ground within your understanding of who I am. That I do not have that much influence or power. <laughs> but I well, do. do con, did convince all us to come on as a guest. Thank you very much.
0: No problem, job. and and I will maintain hope that
1: we get those placards.
3: Yes. Uh, but Karen, do you feel valued and appreciated?
1: I do. Thank you, Paul.
3: Do you want to share any news with the public power community at large about an upcoming major milestone in your life? An upcoming
1: major milestone? Yes. Uh, if you are listeners of Public Power Underground, right around um, June 1st, you will not hear me anymore because uh, I am supposed to have uh, a little baby boy then. So, Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, you won't hear That's me for great. about three months. But uh, as Paul noted earlier, uh, we could host some Public Power Underground After Dark episodes. If anyone's up at like 3 a.m., I'll be up. So
3: yeah, Karen's <laughs> just going to call yeah. me when she wakes up at 3 a.m. with her kid. And we're just going to record with the baby in the background.
1: Just
2: go anytime, and do it, Karen.
3: Anytime. Right. I I will probably also be up with my kids.
2: Dan, do you feel valued and appreciated? always um that's great Karen i'm so happy for you is this your first child no or? it is
1: my uh, it is my second i have a 2 year old running around right now Thanks. so Really trying to keep myself on my toes.
3: (laughs) When does that two year old turn three, which is the worst age for children?
1: Oh, well, thank you for telling me that now. Uh, She turns three in January. So she'll be two and a half when her little brother is born. So I guess six months of bliss before it all goes down I like.
3: Well, it depends. Like there's this like year in there. It's like they take terrible. Anyways, we're getting into not public power, or public power adjacent news. (laughs) It's not even infotainment. No. (laughs) Really? And this is the end of the episode. uh, You were all expecting it at the top we're doing it at the bottom uh seasonal time change is the worst uh we have all experienced it this past weekend this is the monday after seasonal time change had occurred and we're now in daylight savings time may we have done this for the last time and may we stay on daylight savings time all the time if you want my opinion on the topic the pacific time zone is the one time zone where it makes is the only time zone in the u.s where it makes sense to be on daylight savings time all the time i'm sorry for all my friends in other time zones this is the time this is the only one because the western edge of the time zone where it does not work and it does have health impact dan it really does if you're on the western edge of a time zone but that is out in the pacific ocean and for us daylight savings time all the time makes all of the sense in the world i will hear no argument against that fact Dan, like, and because we're we out of time on. who knew we we're out of time Who knew? listening
2: to uh energy west this this week's episode for a little talk about uh university of washington professor who says the exact opposite
3: yes uh and uh paul is very disappointed that you uh you amplified his voice on clearing up's twitter feed uh we do not need anyway uh amaz thank you and uh the science I did, you yes. know, I did, I did, and it doesn't make sense for the western edge of time zones. All right. But As the Pacific stated. time zone, the the western edge out in the Pacific Ocean, nobody's out there worrying about it. Nobody's out there. Nobody's out there. We we're all on the Eastern edge where Daylight Saving Time works. There's very true health impacts on the western edge of the rest of the time zones in the U.S. I do not dis, I do not diminish this fact. It's just. Pacific time zone is the one place where this actually works. I'm, we're going on way too long. Amaz is like, Paul, we got to wrap this <laughs> and, up. I'm a celebrity guest never, host.
0: never known anybody this passionate about daylight savings time. Uh, as always, send any news, questions, opinions, corrections, or complaints uh, specifically about daylight saving time to Paul on Twitter at Power man- Manager. Or if you're a friend of the underground, you can send any of us a note. You don't have to be subscribed to news data weekly newsletter newsletters to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast uh, make a lot more sense. That's all for this week, and thanks for tuning in.
1: Roll on, enthusiasts! Roll on. We're likely recruiting you to come and join on. Roll on, and. Public
3: Power Underground is a production of Klatskin IPUD and Newsdata. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, Newsdata or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. It's written and directed by Klatskin IPUD's power department, led by me, Paul Dockery, and it's edited and published by the stellar team at Pioneer Utility Resources, led by associate producer Sarah Wooden. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiasts, was rewritten, performed and recorded by Aaron Gillery and Ian Bledsoe. And special thanks to our celebrity guest host, Almaz Nagesh, for participating in this week's episode. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground where you're valued and appreciated.